You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is going to be one of those programs where I guarantee you listen to all three hours and you're going to like a lot of it, and I will offend somebody. Everybody's going to be offended by something that I say over the course of the next three hours, which are my favorite kind of shows. All right, Mike Spaulding, you got eight thousand dollars sitting around that you don't know what to do with. Oh, unfortunately, no. See, oh, yeah, no. I, 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 I tell you, because because I, if you have eight thousand bucks sitting around that you have absolutely nothing, you don't know what to do with it. I've got the event for you. All right, it is coming up, August twentieth, August twentieth. Former President Trump is visiting Milwaukee. He's not doing fundraisers for, like, gubernatorial candidates or Ron Johnson. He's coming here as a part of he, – he's actually doing a fundraiser for himself. He's part of a road show. They call it the American Freedom Tour. So he will be here, former Secretary of State Ma, Ma, uh, Mike Pompeo, his son, Donald Trump Jr., Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is the Fox News gal who then became a Trump advisor, who's been making enormous amounts of money for like small appearances. And she's engaged to Donald Trump Jr. So she's going to be here. And uh, the the guy that did that movie, 2000 Mules, which continues to maintain the oh, the, the whole election was stolen. They're all coming to Milwaukee. And and for a mere three thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars, you can have close access to President Trump. And I know you'd want to take your wife, so that's where you get the 8000 bucks, Eight grand, and you're in. Is there anyone you'd pay $4,000 to meet, do you think? Well, or like, how much money would you need to have to pay $4,000 to meet a person for a photo? You know, the answer would be I, I, nobody that I could think of. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got, it's a very good question. Is there anybody you'd pay $4,000? But no. Oh, uh, Judge Jean, Jeannie, uh, Jeanine uh, Pirro, she's going to be here um, a, as well. So that that's going to be the crowd. So now, if, if you want to go, like, less money, you don't want to, like, reach in for the, the four grand apiece, um, apparently for $9, you get, a, <laughs> you get a wristband that gives you seating in an over overflow room 400 bucks gives you seating in the vip section but no contact with the former president yeah um you can also get into the patriot section which does include a, a meeting with the president but that doesn't have a listed price but if you're thinking about this you better act quickly because they're, they're saying that after after july 15th the prices could go up well, that's you know because they had to. Well, they had to cancel a a, a a meeting and a rally in North Carolina this week, so prices are going to have to go up. You're going to have to cover that cost somehow, having to cancel one earlier this month. I, I guess. Look, regardless of what your politics is, here, here's the bottom line: it is to borrow the old line from the late Robin Williams, God's way of telling you that you've got too damn much money. If you can drop eight thousand dollars, now again, it's, it's four thousand a piece, but I'm figuring you, you're, you're not going to go stag to an event like no, that. No, I wouldn't think so. No, you know, you're, so. you're, t- you're taking your significant other, you're, you know, so, you know, if, if you can spend four thousand or eight thousand dollars to go to this particular event, that is God's way of telling you that you have too much money. And no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be there, not even in the overflow seating room for nine bucks. You'll, you either, you'll huh? follow it on Twitter. No, you know, unfortunately, I don't have the money laying around at this point, but, you know, maybe next time. Maybe 
maybe next maybe next time uh, we'll go we'll go talk to Mr. Good Karma. Maybe they'll like give us uh, give us some raises. Even if they gave me raises, I wouldn't consider that. Who in their right mind would spend that kind of money to see this? All right. So on the flip side of this, interesting story in the paper today that that again. They, they sort of miss the interesting aspect of it. The headline is, Tony Evers raises $10.1 million so far in 2022, setting the stage for an expensive campaign season. Okay, so it talks about Tony Evers has raised twice what Scott Walker raised at this point in the 2018 race. Evers got has raised um, $10 million in the first six months of this year. He's raised more than $20 million since the start of 2021. Oh, look at the fundraising giant that is Tony Evers. That's not the most interesting aspect of the story. The most interesting aspect of the story is that despite raising all this money, he's only, and I say only in quotation marks, but he's only got $7.6 million cash on hand. So if he's raised more than $20 million since the start of last year, he's burned through almost two-thirds of that but before the election campaign ha- has even started. Now, I have no doubt that Tony Evers is going to be well-funded. The Democratic Governors Association has said they're willing to come in here, in here and put like $21 million into the campaign. They'll spend whatever it takes to try to help him retain his seat. I, I get that. But the interesting aspect of the story isn't just the, the raw number of the amount raised. It's how how much he has spent and if you look at the different polls that are out there, he's in essentially dead heats with multiple Republican challengers, none of whom have really uh, officially started the, the head-on-head campaign. So, I, I mean, I think it's going to be very, very close. But for all the people that might be Eber supporters that are celebrating, oh, look at all this money that he's got. Well, he spent a ton of money, a shockingly large amount of money, in order to, I don't know, try to increase his profile or whatever. And he's still... You know, if you look at the polls, you know, within the margin of error, are locked in very close races with all the potential Republican challengers. As I mentioned, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. If there's one video that I encourage you to see today, I, I've got it posted. It involves uh, uh, kids and their interactions with a St. Paul police officer. We'll discuss that coming up in just a little bit. But again, if you haven't seen this, it's one of these where you just watch it and you shake your head and go, what's going on? When we come back, though, I want to start with what I think is one of the oddest takes that I have seen from a TV station on a local story. I'll explain the story, and then we'll discuss the way the TV station chose to approach this. Stick around. The Wagner Show continues in just a moment. So very glad to have you with us. I I mentioned yesterday that this shooting, and it's very difficult to keep track of all the different shootings that go on in Milwaukee, but the the one that happened at one of the El Rey Rey grocery stores on Saturday, I think has caught a lot of people's attention. For those who haven't been keeping track, um, a, a guy, and we'll get into this in just a minute, apparently wearing a ski mask. Now, it is July. Wearing a ski mask and carrying a backpack, and they don't allow people to bring backpacks into the store, presumably for shoplifting fears or whatever, but that's a rule. You can't bring backpacks into the store. So a guy wearing a ski mask and carrying a backpack goes into the store and then creates a disturbance. 
the security guards toss him out. So he's moved out into the parking lot, at which point in time he apparently produces a gun, shoots one of the security guards and kills him. Another security guard shoots and kills him. So that's that you you got a gun battle at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning outside of one of the El Rey grocery stores. So we're now finding more about the, the shooter. And I, I've got links to this. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got some of the video. Um, if you go back to March of 2021, and I've got a link to this, Fox 6 did a report on the shooter back in 2021. His name is Luis Lorenzo, and he was featured as one of the fugitives. It was part of their, like, Milwaukee's Most Wanted. He was a fugitive on federal charges, allegedly part of what they called the Buffum Meineke Street Gang, a violent street gang that was selling heroin and was responsible. They show all the guns that were seized and stuff like this. This guy was a fugitive. They had caught a lot of the people that were indicted, but as of the time this report aired in early 2021, they had not caught him. All right, so ultimately they catch him sometime between 2021 and what happened on Saturday. He's then brought into court. He's charged. He's still got the federal charges hanging fire, as near as I can tell. He's charged with state um, offenses with regard to dealing heroin. And if if you look at his criminal record, no surprise, it's as long as your arm. I mean, it goes back to the, the early 2000s. Where he accumulated, you know, his, his first series of felonies. So you've got a guy, multiple felon, who was a fugitive. They catch him. He's charged with additional counts of drug dealing, and he is let out on bail. bail on state court charges. I can't tell exactly what happened. It's harder to find out what's going on in the federal case, but, but he's out, he's out on bail. Now, who in their right mind would release somebody like this on $5,000 bail? And I'm not naming names because I can't tell if it was the judge or if it was a court commissioner. It gets a little bit complex. But regardless, you have this guy, lengthy criminal record, prior felon, was a fugitive, gets caught, then gets put out on the street on a $5,000 bail. Earlier this year, surprise follows surprise, he fails to show up. He jumps bail. He jumps bail. So he is a fugitive. He's a convicted felon. He's a bail jumper. And he walks into this grocery store on Saturday morning, apparently wearing a ski mask and carrying a carrying a backpack. And one thing leads to another, and he pulls out a gun, and he shoots one of the security officers. Well, of course, there's so much wrong with this, aside from the fact that you know, he's a convicted felon. He's not supposed to have a gun. He's jumped bail. Um, he's wanted on all these different charges. And now a security guard is dead, and he's dead because another security guard shoots him. It's just it, it's a complete and total mess. It is one of these, again, preventable sort of things because, candidly, the, the question is, why was this guy out on the street in the first place? After, after he was arrested following his fugitive status that was highlighted in 2021, who thought it was a good idea to put him back out on the street? And as we learned, we really didn't do any favors for him by putting him back out on the street because we, we now see how this is all ended up. Presumably, if he had been where he should have been, which was locked up behind bars, he, he wouldn't have been in a position to walk into that grocery store. A security guard would still be alive, and he would still be alive. So that's that's kind of the background, and there's all sorts of questions about th- this whole thing. Which brings me to the report that airs on, on uh, Channel 4 
the other night. And, and I, I've got a link to this story as well. If you follow me, it's on Twitter at um, Jeff Wagner 620. Now, there's all, like I say, there, there's all sorts of questions you can ask about this. Where did the felon get the gun? Why was he put back out on bail after he was apprehended? All, all these these. These questions, what was he doing going into this grocery store wearing a ski mask? It is, by the way, July. Um, what, what was he doing with doing all this? But here's the headline on the story that's run on today's TMJ4. L. Ray shooting death raises questions of how much training is required to be an armed security guard. Two men were shot and killed and a third person injured. That was a bystander who, who got hit with, uh, thankfully, not seriously injured, but was also shot in the, in the gun battle. Two men were shot and killed and a third person was injured after shooting at El Rey, a grocery store in Milwaukee Southside on Saturday. The shooting was between an armed security guard and a man who has been in the store. It now raises questions about what kind of training it takes to be an armed guard. Excuse me? <laughs> What what a peculiar and odd take on on this story. The security guards, at least the way I see this, the security guards are the heroes in this case. You've got a dangerous felon who is armed, wearing a ski mask, who comes into a store. Got me? He's also a fugitive. You know, he has jumped bail. He refuses to leave, creates a disturbance, and pulls out a gun. And, and the question is, gee, what kind of training do the security guards have? I, it, you want to think, okay, who could have thought up this particular take? Because in a million years, that would be, if you look at the different issues raised by this particular situation, that's about, like, number 1,000 on the list. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I think we want security guards to be proactive and get involved. I want security guards to be armed. I want security guards to intervene when they see somebody that poses a threat. The security guard in this case who was murdered in that parking lot gave his life to protect other people. And the question is, gee, what was their training? Give me a give me a break. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, don't we want armed security guards? And don't we want those armed security guards to intervene? And don't we want those armed security guards to say, hey, there's something wrong here. You've got a guy wearing a ski mask with a backpack that's come into this store. Who knows what? could have happened had the security guards not intervened and gotten him out in the parking lot. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, the security guards are the heroes of this story. Plain and simple. 855-616-1620. We discuss. And by the way, I understand that the family of the convicted felon who shot the security guard um, the convicted felon who had jumped bail, the convicted felon who was illegally in possession of the firearm, the convicted felon who walked into the El Rey grocery store. I know the family is out there talking about a civil rights lawsuit and just upset at all this happened. Well, I have some questions, too, including, you know, were you harboring a fugitive? Did you know he had jumped bail? If not, why not? But it's just bizarre to me that you have at least part, main, parts of the mainstream media who are asking questions like, well, this raises questions about the training of the security guard. No, the shoppers at El Rey were 
lucky to have armed security guards there that day, and one of those guards gave his life to defend other people. Jeff, El Rey Security. I'm from Mequon, and I will now consider shopping there due to um, the security. Jeff, it's almost like people in the press are deliberately stupid. Well, maybe sometimes. Jeff, these are the type of stories you usually see in the newspaper. The security guard should be getting an award for saving innocent shoppers' lives. Um, yes, absolutely. Jeff, unfortunately, there's a segment of our population who want criminals to just run around shooting people and creating more crime. The security guards here are the heroes. Jeff, your excuse me, what were they thinking reaction was exactly what I thought when you ended up reading the headline. That's a number of people pointing out how the family is talking about how their, you know, convicted felon bail jumping uh, relative was was wrongfully shot and stuff. Well, again, the facts are going to emerge on this particular thing. But based on what we know right now, convicted felon. You know, going into the store wearing a ski mask in July, carrying a gun, presumably in the backpack, creates a disturbance and then is willing to use that gun and shoots a security guard. Like I say, all sorts of questions, including why was he out on bail? Why wasn't there a more aggressive effort to catch him after he jumped bail? Did the family members know that he had jumped bail? But the last reaction you get is, you know, why did the security guard shoot him? 855-616-1620. Lucy in Milwaukee. Lucy, good afternoon. Hi there. Hi. Um, I, agree with you to- I agree with you totally, so I'm not going to plow that ground again. My question is, can the sister who admitted on public TV that she was hiding the man wanted for bail jumping be charged with anything? Or do we have one of those stupid laws that protects relatives that are hiding their uh, loved ones. Fair question. You know, I, she should be charged. Well, right. Could, we, we have a statute that, Wisconsin has a statute that makes it a felony to, I believe it's a felony to, to harbor, you know, aid in, aid of, aid of fugitive. And I, I don't know off the top of my head if there's an exception, but yeah, that's what struck me about the coverage as well. I mean, you've got the family and look, and I, I understand they're upset that they, that, you know, that their, their relative has died. But at the same time, yeah, maybe, maybe they, if, if they would have turned him in and they would have caught him, he wouldn't have been in a position to get into a shootout with this guard. So, you know, sometimes you think you're doing people a favor, and you're really not. We agree. And years ago, there was a similar case, and there was some exception for relatives, but I don't know if that law was changed or what it is, and I'm not in a place I can look it up right now. But I was furious at that sister, um, just furious. Um, but again, she admitted it. Oh. Um, Oh, right. No, you're, you're right. No, thanks for call, Lucy. And I, I just I don't know off the top of my head. I I'm looking at the statute quickly and I don't the section does not apply to the felon, to the felon spouse or to a parent, grandchild, child grand, or brother or sister of the felon. Yeah. So there appears to be a section which exempts family members from having an obligation <laughs> to not harbor or aid a felon. That's at least my initial reading of 946.47. But yeah, I mean, here, here's what the, what the sister, for example, says. Luis, and Luis is the, the 36 year old multiple felon, jumped bail, wanted for serious charges, um, 
who, who was involved in at least starting this incident, Luis was dealing with depression, anxiety, and a lot of issues that he was very private about. He had some mental health challenges. When asked about the active warrant that was out for him stemming from his drug charges in 2019, the sister said it had nothing to do with his death. She confirms he wore a ski mask and a backpack into El Rey, which is not allowed. Oh, but the active warrant had nothing to do with his death. Well, first of all, he's not supposed to have a gun. He's a felon, but as a condition of the bail that he jumped, he wasn't allowed to possess firearms, but obviously he did. Look, this is, it is a tragedy here, but I think, again, what we're losing sight of and some of the coverage of this has been very, very misguided. The victim here is, again, it's the 59-year-old security guard um, who ended up losing his life. His name was, Ant- was Anthony Nolden, and I have a text here that I do want to read. Jeff. If you can give a shout-out to the security guard, Tony, that would be Anthony Nolden, it would be much appreciated. He was the security guard at my hotel in Glendale for years. He was very professional and a gentle soul. That's right. And he lost his life on Saturday morning because he was doing his job. He was presented with somebody who shouldn't have been on the street in the first place, who shouldn't have been carrying a gun in the second place, and who shouldn't have been where he was, much less wearing a ski mask and carrying a backpack. They moved the problem. This is the security guards moved the problem outside, maybe saving the lives of who knows how many shoppers at that store. He ends up getting shot, and, and we're talking about, gee, what, what's their training, or people are threatening to file lawsuits against the security guards or whatever. Well, okay, g- give me a break on that one. This whole thing was the responsibility of one person and one person alone, and it was the convicted felon who had jumped bail who went into that store with a gun when he shouldn't. The security guards in this case, both of them, or at least my opinion, they, they are heroes. They did what we want them to do, and this idea that, well, security guards shouldn't get involved. What's the purpose of having security guards otherwise? Um, if you're not going to have armed security guards to deal with armed threats, well, why bother having them just let everybody else, you know, be in the store and be potential victims. This this whole thing, it's, it's aggravating on so many extremes. It starts with the idea that this guy was out on bail, that is the initial shooter, was out on bail in the first place. We didn't do him a favor. If the court system thought they were doing him a favor by putting him out on on $5,000 bail, well, we, we see where this has ended up, and now you've got a security guard who is dead because of that particular decision. If he was in jail, he wouldn't have been in a position to do this in the first place, and everybody would still be alive. So it starts with an error in the court system. Don't want to just blame the judge or the court commissioner, though, because obviously you've got the, the bad guy in the first place who started this all. But at some point in time, if we think we're doing people favors by being small L liberal and letting them out and, oh, let's give this person and that person another chance and let's put them back out on the streets, it rarely works out well. Case in point, what happened on Saturday. These kids are doomed. If you watch no other video today, I've got a link to this. If you haven't seen it anywhere else, you can follow me. It's on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's the deal. It's Minneapolis, St. Paul, St. Paul. Last week, police officers, local police officers and ATF, alcohol, tobacco and firearms, they are serving a search warrant in downtown St. Paul looking for a murder suspect. All right, so that's the background. That's why they are on the scene. Um, in the video, 
there are a handful of children that are out in the street, and I mean young children, and I I have the link to a video. There is a a kid, maybe two years old, maybe a little bit older, but not much more than two, maybe three, I don't know, out on, on the street wearing nothing but his underwear. And you can see, like, there's another kid behind him in in diapers. And the cops are standing there. And the kid is attacking the the police officers. And and you can can watch it. The clip I have is, like, 30 seconds. It's about, there's, there's like, about two minutes of video, but the one I post is 30 seconds. You see this, this kid, two to three years old, wearing nothing but his underwear, repeatedly hitting a police officer who's there to arrest a murder suspect, calling the officer... Well, that word that starts with a B and rhymes with which and telling his colleague to shut the blank up, but not saying blank. He's using the F word. This is a kid who's two or three years old. And you see him repeatedly running up, calling, you know, the, the police officers that B word and, and hitting them. It's shut up, you know, B. Scream the young child, who appeared to be only a couple years old in his underwear. He then um, starts screaming, shut the you-know-what up. At one point in time, you see this. He goes up to one of the, he runs up to one of the cops, and, and he looks at the cop's shoes, and he says, you're wearing those, he's got work boots, you're, those are those ugly blank church shoes. I have no idea what that means, but you get the idea. You can hear in the background that there's apparently some adult who is calling one of the officers, an, who happens to be black, calling him an Oreo head, which is a slur suggesting that the black person is acting white. So you, you watch this, and I, I admit I, I watched it, and my jaw is just dropping. Because, I mean, I, I understand that you, you have people that hate the police, and I understand that you have people who view the police a, as the enemy. And I understand that you have people who scream at police officers and things like that when they're just trying to do their job. But in this case, you've got a kid who's two or three years old who's out there screaming and yelling these things at the police. Now, my comment is, I guess there's so many things and aspects of the story you can talk about, but I guess in, in the case of these kids... My guess is that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And obviously, this is learned behavior. And obviously, this is what they're getting at home from, you know, whatever parents or whoever is raising these children. And they're not obviously doing a very good job of it. But, I mean, my big takeaway is, do you see the way these kids are behaving towards these police officers? And I guess my my overriding thing is it's sad because these kids don't have a chance to succeed. if, If you... I mean, if you're brought up, you know, in, in this fashion, you know, what what are the odds that that kid in his underwear who's screaming and cursing at police at the age of three, what are the odds that that kid's going to succeed in life in, in any meaningful fashion? You know very well. You look at this, and 12 years from now, you know, are we going to be surprised when we hear that the kid was involved in some shootout somewhere and is dead? Are we going to be surprised if that doesn't happen when 12 or 13 years from now we find out that the kid is in prison for doing something? If that's how you are acting at two or three years old, it tells me what's most likely to happen unless there's some sort of intervention that is not likely to occur. But the kids don't have a chance to succeed. 
And in this particular case, you know, we often wonder where are the parents? Well, okay, I know where the parents are. The parents apparently, this is how the parents behave, and this is the type of children they are raising. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The police officers are so amazing restraint here. They just, you know, they're, they're just walking away while this kid is screaming at them. But can you imagine being this cop going home at night? Oh, how was your day, hon? Well, we, we went out to um, execute a, a search warrant. We were looking for a murder suspect, and I, I dealt with this two- or three-year-old child who was out of control and hitting me and cursing me. And the spouse says, what, what do you mean, a two- or three-year-old child? Yeah, hon, that's what I mean. It was a two- or three-year-old kid. Oh, you're making this up. No, I'm not. 855-616-1620. The sad thing about this is, is apparently there are certain parts of the communities where this is acceptable this is how kids are raised and the people that are raising those kids well okay they are dooming those kids to a life of failure 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment that you really do have to see this video to believe it jeff it's appalling it's a perfect example of the disrespect disrespectful learned behavior towards police. This is why we have all the crime problems we do now. It starts at home at this young age. These kids, unfortunately, will have no respect for anyone moving forward, including themselves. Complete and total failure on the part of the so-called parents. It's very sad. It is. Because if this is if this is how you react to police at the age of, uh, again, three years old or however this, old this kid is, and you're hitting the police when they're there to try to arrest a murderer, you, I mean, I'm sorry, you're just doomed. You, that, that is just the reality. You are doomed to a life of crime. You're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up in a morgue. And that's going to be on the parents who are raising children in this fashion. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, you know, I think it's 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 really sad because, you know, it, it's going to turn into a racial issue eventually because when this little boy gets caught in the crossfire or gets shot or there's a rape or there's a, um, you know, some other type of crime, then everybody wants the police to show up. Well, who's going to show up when you get treated like this? Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's it's so. Well, it is, and and, and we're trying so to picture bad. one of. I mean, one of the officers is black, and apparently, and the, and the kid is yelling at him. He's also yelling at the white officer. There's some guy that you don't see on the video who's again throwing racial slurs at the police officer who that the black police officer who's on the scene. I mean, who who wants to be a police officer nowadays? You couldn't pay me oh, enough money yeah, to take that abuse. All right, that makes me want to show up there on their their street, their avenue, or wherever they're at, you know, to help. Uh, you know, even a uh, let's say an elder person or somebody else who's who's you know had a crime committed or or some issue. I mean, it's like, do they not understand that if they make it unwelcome or if they make it so hostile, who wants to go there? Yeah, it, I mean, it's just it's, it's to, to help people. I mean, it's just. If you just, you can find another. I, it's just so sad. I mean, it's just and, it this, and this little one should be in bed, read a book, go to bed. It's time for bed. Why, why or get out right, or, or just or flat get out of the way, or, or or whatever. I don't know what time of day this is, but it's but it, it is it's it's just kind of jarring to hear 
first of all, th- this kind of language coming out of the, the mouth of a, of a three-year-old. Okay, that, that's that's number one. I mean, I, I didn't know those, and I understand it's a different time, but when I was three years old, I didn't know those words. That's number one. Number two, I, I certainly wouldn't have been directing them at police officers. But but yet, I had somebody texted me saying, oh, you know, this is this is perfectly understandable. They, they're three years old. They, they can't sort this out, and they're obviously traumatized by having police in their neighborhood. Oh, give me a break. Just stop apologizing for for bad behavior and recognize that unless we do something, you know, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. I am seriously afraid that, that we are losing generations of young people in certain areas because this is the type of attitude that they're growing up with. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, how you doing? I was just calling, you know, to speak on that, not saying, uh, you know, that uh, anything is right or appropriate with that kid uh, acting out and behaving like that. Um, But I do understand that a child seeing things in front of them as far as a parent acting out or saying certain things can be repeated in the child's behavior. Um, So I don't believe that that child is actually just doomed. Um, there could have been a specific situation that the, the parents had with the police officer or law enforcement that caused them to act out in a rage in front of the kid. Um, you know, not saying that that's appropriate and right, but with different different demographics through the city that we have, um, there are different issues, um, you know, going on. And it could be something, you know, mentally going on as well, but I don't foresee the kid just being doomed because they repeated something they seen. Well, Bob, I, I mean, I, I hope you're right. And clearly, this is learned behavior. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, you don't. I mean, clearly, for the, the three year old to, and I'm assuming he's three, but that, but for the for the whether he's two or three or four, for for him to be using this kind of language and taking pokes at police officers and things like that and insulting them as he is, clearly that is learned behavior. Clearly, he's getting that at home. But I guess my question is, what if if he's getting that at home and you're getting that ingrained in you when you're two or three? Or four years old, all right, how are you ever going to get that out of your system? And if that's the way you view law enforcement and things like that, I, I this is this is not the recipe. This is not starting off on the, the rungs of the ladder to success. I'm, I'm sorry. And you, you would love to see the parents who were involved in this particular situation and wonder, you know, what sort of job they're doing raising their kids. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the say, okay, show. Melissa Barclay, you, you were going through the Emmy nominations? Yes. Okay. But I, just, just be my guinea pig for a moment <laughs> on, on, on this here. Because it, it used to be the Emmys were a big deal. And you'd say, oh, gosh, Seinfeld got this many up to things and all. Part of the thing is there's so many different stations that are out there There, there's and and with the emmys now it's it's broadcast tv it's cable tv it's all the different streaming Streaming services services, yes so i i want to go through a list of some of these and just want to ask you if if you've heard of them and or seen them okay okay drama these are the nominees for best drama series better call saul heard of that i've heard of that i'm a big fan you're a huge fan i know that yeah yeah. euphoria hbo no no me neither ozark on netflix yes okay i i've I, I've got Netflix. I watched the first season of Ozark. Haven't watched any of the rest. It just didn't do anything for me. But okay. But I've at least I've heard of it. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Severance on Apple TV. 
I've heard of it. I used to have Apple TV. I don't anymore. But, but, so, but no, I have not right. seen it. But, but yeah, but, I've heard of it. But again, if you don't have Apple TV, yeah, you, then you, you don't, don't know. You yeah. don't have this mm-hmm. Squid Game on Netflix. I I've heard it. I I know that it's really popular, but it wasn't anything that really right. attracted me to it. So. Stranger Things on Netflix. Love it. Yes. Okay. I, I watched the first season of that, and that didn't. I catch just finished my attention. season four, so okay. I, I did like it. Yeah. Uh, the big one, Succession on HBO. Have you ever watched? No, any of that? I've never seen that I've, one. I've, and I don't have HBO Plus, so that's another reason why I. Right, oh, no but, but again, you you need that. You yeah. can't. So for all the people that aren't paying extra money to have HBO or Apple TV or Netflix, you're just you have no idea That's what true. these shows are. Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Nope. Nope. I've never I've never Not, even heard of I that. I haven't heard of that one. Comedy series, Abbott Elementary on ABC. I've heard of it. I've not seen it. Okay, that's the first one of the group we have that, that's on a traditional broadcast thing. Okay, so Isn't that amazing? That, right. Yeah. Uh, Barry on HBO. No. I, I, I've heard of it, but again, you need, but you need HBO. Well, you now know? I feel like I need to go get HBO well, well, Plus no. now. <laughs> okay, Curb Your Enthusiasm, HBO. That's a Larry David yes, one. Yes, I, I, I know it. I haven't but, seen it. But yet. you don't have HBO, right? Yeah, I don't, yeah. Hacks on HBO. No, you're no, out of that. You know. don't have it. No. Um, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is on Amazon. Love it, yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. you, but but again, you need Amazon you Prime do. Video to see that. Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. No, I don't have Hulu. I've got Hulu. I've never even heard of, <laughs> of that. Um, Ted Lasso again on Apple TV. Saw it before I got rid of Apple TV. Yes, right, but but again, you need and you, you need, need Apple, Apple TV, to have yeah. that. What we do in Shadows on mm, FX. No, no, me neither. Um, but that's at least on basic cable. All right. Yeah. Um, Dope sick on Hulu. You know, and I think that's the theme we're seeing is forget network TV. All these oh, are on streaming nothing. services. Right. The the dropout on Hulu. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I, I've, I've got <laughs> yeah, Hulu, but I mean, it's um, inventing Anna on Netflix. Yes, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Pam and Tommy on Hulu. I saw that. That was the Pamela Anderson Tommy, Tommy Lee. Lee. Mm. Yeah, that was. It was. Um, it was kind of like popcorn and stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know, course, but you, you yeah. watched, it, watched it quickly. The White Lotus on HBO. No, you don't have HBO, yeah, so you HBO, don't have yeah, it. No, yeah. but you, you get the idea. The, and it, it just goes, those are the, those are the, the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, lead actress in a drama series, The Morning Show. That's Reese Witherspoon, but that's Apple TV, right? Yeah. And if you don't have that, um, again, all these are, there's almost, almost no over-the-air shows and even very few basic cable. Isn't it's almost all yeah. streaming services, mm-hmm. right? Um, Disney Plus has a couple that are in there. It's just, but it, it's why, I think it's one of the reasons why the Emmys, for example, have lost their luster. Because most people are looking, and, and it's it's not many people who are just crazy like I do. And I mean, we do. I, I have I have Hulu, and, and I have Disney Plus, and I have HBO Max, and I I have Netflix, so you can, and I have Peacock, so you yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of them. I do. I have like three or four. I have um, Amazon Prime. I have Netflix, Amazon Prime too. Yeah. Yep. Um, we also have Stars, um, and I have Discovery Plus because I like some of the corny stuff right. on there. But but there's only so much stuff you can watch. That's but true. That, but that is, I, I think we're atypical. I mean, most people, maybe, you know, if they have one streaming service, that that's it. And you, unless you have all these things, you've got no clue as to what this stuff is, is that's on there. When I think for people, some people have cut the cord and they don't have cable anymore. So they just have streaming services or regular network TV. Right. But probably not five or six streaming services. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, yeah. you're missing out on all this. And so I, I guess the point is, if you're going through this list of Emmys, go, of Emmy Award winners going, 
haven't seen it, haven't heard of it, haven't seen it, haven't heard of it, don't feel bad because I, I think there's there's a lot of people that are out there in, in that. And I agree. And you know what? I'm not sure we're really missing anything. Maybe not. Well, I mean, I you know HBO I, Plus though. I am now considering that since there's so many Emmy nominations for that particular streaming service, it sounds like there's some good stuff on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have you. you I, I mean, I have I have HBO, and if you have HBO, you get HBO Plus along with it. I don't know. I just, I, I just, I'm just looking at this, and I'm a huge fan of TV, but yeah. I don't, I don't think it's working. All right. So if you don't know any of the Emmy things, don't don't feel bad because we don't know a lot of them either. When we come back. Is what Madison is doing right? I'll discuss. Stick around. Hey, that's right about Cream Puff Palooza. The Wisconsin State Fair is just around the corner, and you know what that means, Cream Puffs. Lucky for you, WTMJ has your chance to get your hands on some for free. The Cream Puff Palooza is back. Mark your calendars, because starting Monday, all you need to do is head to WTMJ.com or text the word PUFF to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620, and register for a six-pack of delicious cream puffs. It's the Cream Puff of Palooza from the Wisconsin State Fair and WTMJ. And I'm glad to hear that apparently Steve Scafidi is going to be doing it this year. See, Charlie, you haven't been around, but Cream Puff of Palooza has been my thing for years and years. And the way we've done it in the past is, you know, I'm out there at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and we have people line up at State Fair the day before the fair and all, and... Um, this year, I'm going to be in Alaska. We're doing that's when our listener cruise is, our listener trip to Alaska. So, <clears throat> the, the choice was, you know, getting on the ship in uh, Seward, Alaska, that day, or Cream Puff of Palooza, and it was close. But apparently, um, I, I'm supposed to be in Alaska, so that's why I'm not doing it this year. But it's always a lot of fun, and I always enjoy getting uh, seeing people come on out there. Here's a text, Jeff. I understand what you're saying about the Emmys. The flip side, though, is when movies are nominated for Oscars, you used to have to always go to the theater and pay to see that movie. Now, a lot of those movies are available to watch on streaming services like Apple TV and Amazon Prime. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of them are, are released d- directly on those services. Um, for example, I know when, when the Matrix movie came out, that was... You know, you you could watch that on the new Matrix movie. You could watch it on HBO Plus or whatever it was, you know, that that had that. So it is kind of the flip side. I'm just saying that if if you wonder why the Emmys aren't really a big deal, it's because people just don't have the same opportunity to see all the shows that used to have, used to be able to see when it was really just the major broadcast networks. And I really do think we're kind of in a golden age of television right now with all the different choices that are out there. But at the same time, there's all those different choices that are there, and it's tough to figure out what the right stuff is. All right. I want to talk to you about a Supreme Court case that came out last week, state Supreme Court case, that, that avoided the main issue. There was a lawsuit that was brought by parents of kids who were in the Madison School District, and they objected to a certain policy that they had. I'm going to share that policy with you in a minute. The parents sued to to have the, this policy discontinued, and they wanted to sue anonymously because they felt that if they publicly identified themselves, given the fact that it's Madison, they and their kids would be subject to you know all sorts of problems. So the, the case went to the state Supreme Court on the question of could they bring their lawsuit and could they stay anonymous? And the state Supreme Court, on a four to three vote, 
without getting to the merits, the, the underlying reason that the people were suing, said, no, you, you can't be anonymous. So if you want to proceed with this, you're going to have to come out and publicly identify yourselves and identify the kids, and, and then, then you can go ahead. And the Supreme Court also decided that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't deal with the underlying issue that the people were suing on. So the, the, the way this has been kind of portrayed or misportrayed in the media, <clears throat> for example, the Journal Sentinel headline, Wisconsin Supreme Court chooses not to block Madison policy allowing transgender students to decide names and pronouns. Well, that's, that, that's true to an extent that the court didn't get to the merits. They just simply made a procedural decision. So it's true, but it doesn't mean that the Madison policy is going to be good law. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Here, here's what they were suing about and what I guess my belief is the lawsuit will continue to be about. Here, <clears throat> here's the deal. In April of 2018, so we go back four years, the Madison Metropolitan School District adopted a document entitled Guidance and Policies to Support Transgender, Non-Binary, and Gender Expansive Students. The policy contains multiple provisions. Here's a couple of the provisions. Students will be called by their affirmed name and pronouns regardless of parent-guardian permission to change their name and gender in the district system. So in other words, let's say your kid, Johnny, goes to the Madison Metropolitan School District and goes into school officials and say, says, I'm not Johnny, I want to be Joni. And I don't want to be referred to as him, I want to be referred to as her. The policy says students will be called, in this case, my example, you're going to be called Joni. Because, you know, you, you've asked to be called Joni. All district staff will refer to students by their affirmed names and pronouns. Hey, you know, Johnny just came in and said he doesn't want to be referred to as he. He wants to be called Joni and be referred to as, as she. Staff will also maintain confidentiality and ensure privacy. Refusal to respect a student's name and pronouns is a violation of the non-discrimination policy. Okay, here's where it gets good. School staff shall not disclose any information that may reveal a student's gender identity to others, including parents or guardians, and any other school staff, unless the student has authorized such disclosure. So, Johnny goes in, says, I'm Joni. I don't want to be called he anymore. I want to be called she. I don't want you telling mom and dad. So you've got like a 12-year-old kid that that does this. The policy says you have to do what the 12-year-old kid says, and you are not supposed to disclose it to mom and dad. It gets even better. All staff, correspondents, and communication to families in regard to students shall reflect the name and gender documented in the system unless the student has specifically given permission to do um, otherwise. This might involve using the student's affirmed name and pronouns in the school setting and their legal name and pronouns with the family. So let me explain what they're doing. They are lying to the parents. So in the communications that are sent home, like the letter that goes home, you continue to refer to my example, 
you know, Joan, the kid who wants to be called Joni, who is called Joni by the school system, but they refer to him as Johnny in the letters home. So mom and dad don't find out that the school district is referring to him as a she and Joni when she is in school. It, it's so you're you're affirmatively misleading the parents to avoid this. I continue with the policy. To avoid harmful misgendering or misnaming, teachers should ensure that all information shared with substitute teachers is updated and accurate. And then it, it goes on. But essentially, it is saying you do what the kid does. You lie to the parents about what the kid wants, and nobody is the wiser. So these parents sued to stop it. And again, it, right now, that the policy is on hold. Um, the Supreme Court said... If you want to go ahead with this lawsuit, you've got to identify who you are. Okay, that, that's, that's all well and good. But I want to talk about the underlying policy. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has the world gone mad? I, I mean, seriously. Look, I, I, have, I understand that there's transgender kids, and I get the fact that, you know, you've got kids who are, you know, uh, feel like they're, they're born a boy and they, they're really a girl or, or, or vice versa. Okay, I understand all that. But that's not what this is about to me. This is about affirmatively deceiving the parents. If mom and dad go in with Johnny, 12-year-old Johnny, and say, you know, we have decided that, you know, this is, we we think our child is transgender, and it's really a a girl trapped in a boy's body, and we're going to start referring to him as Joni, and we want the school records changed to reflect that it's Joni and refer to, you know, him as a her, that's fine. I mean, if if the parents want to do that in consultation with the kid, okay, that's fine. But that's not what they're doing in Madison. They are effectively lying to the parents in an effort to deceive them as to what's going on with the kid. And that, to me, is absolutely appalling. The parents, at the end of the day, are the ones responsible for raising their kids. They're the ones that are responsible for providing for their kids. And they're ones that are responsible for making the, the significant medical decisions that come along with this. For the school system to say, we're going to just go along willy-nilly with whatever the 12 or 13 or 14-year-old kid wants, and then not only not consult the parents, but then effectively deceive them. How in the world can any school system be allowed to do this? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Yeah, I swear you can't make this stuff up. What if... Johnny, who now wants to be called Joni, gets in trouble, and you need to have a conference between the assistant principal, Johnny's parents, and Joni all in the same room. What name do you use? No, I, I think in that case you refer because you you are effectively you are told you have to lie to the parents, so you refer to Joni as Johnny in front of the parents. Um, is there a minimum age which the student can implement their wish for this to happen? No, I don't. Think so. I I was six and I wanted to be called princess. Yeah, so that's exactly. See, that is the insanity of this of the school system just making the decision that's going to do this without consulting with the parents, and then they're going to affirmatively lie to the parents about it, and they think it's okay. That's the thing. These pointy-headed bureaucrats think it's okay to do that, and we wonder why things are so screwed up.
Now, Charlie, producing the show today and always, that, that is, Tumble and Dice is great, but what you need is the Linda Ronstadt version of Tumble and Dice. That's, that's, now, I, that one's good, but Linda Ronstadt's version of Tumble and Dice is the one that really, really makes it. Boy, I'm telling you, Linda Ronstadt had so many great, so many great hits back in the 70s. All right. But the reason we're talking about Tumbling Dice is it's, it's back, sort of. If you will recall, Years ago, we, we had lengthy conversations and discussions about what to do with the old Dairyland Park Greyhound track. For those of you who, who might be kind of new to the area, and what is this Dairyland Park Greyhound track that you talk about? There, there was a time, really kind of like in the early 1990s, when there, dog racing was big in, in Wisconsin. And it was before you had Indian gaming and things of the like. And you had dog tracks. You had... Dairyland Greyhound Track, which was in Kenosha, right off the freeway. You had that, and you had a track in Caucana, and you had a track in Lake Geneva. <clears throat> you had a track in Wisconsin Dells, and you had a track in the northwestern portion of, of the state. And, and you had five dog tracks. I don't think I'm forgetting any. And and it was it was really big. Well, what happened is... A couple years after the tracks opened up, you had a decision by the state Supreme Court, which came out and, and opened up the state for Indian gaming. And then you had the Indian tribes moved in, and they set up the, the different casinos that were out there. And the effect of that was it killed the dog tracks because <clears throat> what the people who want to bet, a lot of times they, 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 they want to bet a lot. So you go to the dog track, and you have to wait like eight minutes between races, and you have to handicap the races. You know, it's much more convenient to go, and you can play blackjack, or you can play slot machines or things like that. But Indian gaming in the casinos just absolutely killed the dog tracks. So you had this this big, vacant space right by the freeway, kind of prime spot, Dairyland Greyhound Park. And the, the Hard Rock Casino... Um, you know, which is affiliated with the Seminole tribe in Florida. What they wanted to do is they wanted to take over the, the facility and, and turn it into a hotel. And there was all sorts of, you know, give and take on this. Part of the problem with the whole thing was that the way the, the agreements with the other Indian tribes had been negotiated, the, the Potawatomi tribe pretty much had an exclude, forget pretty much, they had pretty much an exclusive um, a, a control over the area in, in Kenosha. They'd been guaranteed that they were essentially going to have a monopoly on this portion of the state. And if, if the state would have authorized a, another casino run by a different tribe in that area, the Potawatomi would have been entitled to all sorts of damages and payments and things like that. And at the end of the day, it would have become maybe not at best maybe a wash and and actually the state might have ended up losing money on this it was a very in my opinion a very very bad deal that the governor of the state of wisconsin at the time jim doyle struck with the the indian tribes with regard to giving them so much leverage in any event scott walker vetoed any efforts to try to turn that space into a casino and it's now I think they're looking at it as for its development of a business park or something. But that, for a while, pretty much killed the idea of another casino in that location. Well, um, 
Illinois is is getting into the casino business in in a big way, and you have several casinos that are popping up in northern Illinois. The story in the local paper today is that well the the Hard Rock International is, is back. Here's the deal, and this is the way it's reported in the Journal Sentinel. Um, for at least the fourth time since Indian casinos became legal operations in Wisconsin, a group appears to be eyeing Kenosha as a potential site for a tribal casino. A company headquartered at the same address as the corporate offices for Hard Rock International recently agreed to pay up to $100,000 for an option to buy 60 acres of land in Kenosha that is owned by the village of Bristol. The So that they... they they're paying $100,000 for an option to buy the property. The option calls for the company to pay more than $15 million to buy the property. Um, the village has been trying to sell the property for years, and um, the, the speculation is that the reason they want this particular property would be that they, they want to put, a again, a, an Indian-managed casino, a hard rock uh, casino, you know, in Kenosha. And some of the principal advisors say, yeah, we, we think that this is going to be a destination spot, and we bet it's going to be spectacular, and we think if they build it, people will, in fact, come. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us tee this up. Do we need more casinos in the state of Wisconsin? Would it be a good idea to have another Indian-run, operated casino down in the Kenosha area? Or would this just be cannibalizing business? What Potawatomi has always argued is, hey, you put a casino in Kenosha, and that's going to dramatically cut down our business because one of the rules of gambling is that you, you almost never drive past one casino to get to another casino. So if you lived like in northern Illinois or you lived in Kenosha County or you lived in Lake Geneva and you wanted to go gambling, well, what you more likely would do is you'd be more inclined to go to the new casino, the Hard Rock Casino in Kenosha, than drive up to Milwaukee. So the Potawatomi has always said, look, this is going to dramatically hurt our business, which is probably true. I I think there's probably you know a truth to that now of course <clears throat> the flip side would be i'm a free market guy and my response in general would be well you know, too bad that's you know you don't get to complain if you know you've got a gas station and then somebody comes along and builds a gas station three blocks down that siphons off some of your business the trick though and the problem here is because of the nature of the agreement that potawatomi has with the state based on when their original agreements were signed there are significant financial implications for the state if it were to allow another casino to come into play. 855-616-1620. Do we need another casino in southeastern Wisconsin? We discuss in just a moment. That's the version of Tumbling Dice. Not that the other one was bad. 855-616-1620. All right, they're, they're back. The Hard Rock Tribe um, out of, the, 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 the it's, it's a Seminole Indian tribe in Florida. It's associated with the Hard Rock International. They're, they're back for now the fourth time, and I think at least the second time with this operation. They're looking at space in Kenosha County. They would like to start a casino. Remember, this is the same group that tried to take over Dairyland Greyhound Park a number of years ago. That ultimately got shot down. So... 
do we need another casino in southeastern Wisconsin? Let's start with Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Absolutely build that casino. Potawatomi has had that monopoly way too long. Plus, competition is good. Competition would make them make the make you want to come to Potawatomi, make you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, right. also that uh, the fact that they've had that so long like that, they can loosen up their slots, too, and everything, and everybody will be happy. Well, thanks for call, Tony. <laughs> no, well, I know. I mean, I mean competition competition is good. There, there's no question about that. And that's that's one of the things when it comes to when it comes to gambling, the the idea that, you know, if you've got, I don't know, you've got one casino that has a whatever, whatever their win rate is, you know, let's say, let's say that they, they give back 94% of their slot proceeds to, uh, again, the players, and somebody else has looser slot machines, and they give back 96% or whatever that number would be. It, it is, it, it's kind of like gas stations, you know, if you got gas stations on opposite corners from each other, and one is charging $4.40 a gallon, and one is charging $4.60 a gallon, well, people are going to naturally migrate to the one that's charging $4.40 a gallon. And when you do not have that competition, it, it makes it easier to, uh, again, not be as responsive to the public. Now, of course, when it comes to casinos, it's a little bit more, it's a, forget a little bit, it's a lot more complicated. Let's talk to uh, James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I I agree with uh, your other caller there. Um, I think they need to loosen it up. Uh, perks and benefits, they've taken it all away from us uh, and figured that they're the only game in town. It's uh, time for uh, mm-hmm. maybe one or two or three more casinos to come around and uh, kind of lo- loosen it up a little bit, give uh, Potomotomy some uh, really uh, some uh, competition. Uh, I don't. I mean, I I'm not. I haven't gone. Uh, uh, and that uh, recently, because they're not giving out any perks, benefits, or anything else like they used to do. They they figured that they're wreaking it in, and they want they, they want all the money, and they don't want to give anything out. No, thanks for calling. You know, I, I haven't been to the casino. I haven't been to Potawatomi in ages. Now, here's some text, Jeff. Potawatomi is revamping next year with new restaurants and gaming. They don't need any new place here. Illinois has sports book betting. We can cross the border and do that. Well, Potawatomi is going to open up for sports betting as well. I think probably by the end of the year is the plan. So that's happening. Um, Jeff, yes, another casino. Potawatomi has too much control. Competition would force it to pay out more to customers and keep gamblers coming in. Plus, Potawatomi will have their sports book by the fall. Jeff, I say no to Hard Rock coming in. Not only will it hurt Potawatomi, but it will hurt the plans on the new concert venues proposed in downtown Milwaukee. Jeff, funny you should ask. <laughs> we are just leaving Potawatomi and we lost. Laugh out loud. Well, yes, that's that, that's pretty much the case if you go to almost any casino or you go to Las Vegas. Those those hotels and stuff weren't built on weren't built on winners. Yeah, Jeff, uh, yes, we need more casinos in southeastern Wisconsin. Potawatomi needs some competition. Jeff, no more casinos needed. I think the point that that's um, re- they're referencing is just you know gambling. And there's there's sentiment that believes that that gambling is just not the way to, I don't know, generate revenue for the the public because let's face it, most of the people that go to gamble end up losing. I understand there's exceptions, but most people lose, and and it's no big deal to me. It's it, it's it's a form of entertainment if you want to do it, but it does of course get out of control for some people. Now, 
that's by that justification I acknowledge then you'd say well we shouldn't should we not have bars because some people become alcoholics um let's see 855-616-1620 um Jeff I would rather drive up to Oneida than go to Pottawatomie well that I mean you I mean you can there are different choices there's Ho-Chunk that's you know out in Wisconsin Dells and there's um Oneida up in the Green Bay area but those are, are you, you got to drive a couple hours to get there? If you had a facility in Kenosha, it would be it, it would be I, I think a direct competitor. So what do I think about this? Well, my answer is kind of complicated. I I supported the efforts to build the new casino at Dairyland Greyhound Park a number of years ago um, because I like like many of you I, I believe in, in competition if. If people are going to decide to to gamble, and we're going to we've let the gambling genie out of the out of the bottle like we did, I think it's good to give people th- those different choices as to places they can go and the different amenities that there's going to be and the different entertainment things. I think competition I- is good. So in general, I am in favor of, uh, for example, a new casino if you've got somebody that's responsible. But there's a big but here, the way. The way this has been set up and the way Indian gaming was set up, and again, it goes back to the original gambling agreements that were signed when Jim Doyle was governor years and years ago, it it is very, very protectionist towards Potawatomi. And I'm not criticizing Potawatomi. They cut a really, really, really good deal. If I were to criticize anybody, it would be the former governor, Jim Doyle, who I believe gave away the store when he cut the, these original gaming deals to the extent that he has given the Potawatomi's pretty much a monopoly in southeastern Wisconsin. So here, here's the, the deal. If, if in order to bring a new casino in in Kenosha, we end up getting into a situation where the, the penalties that have to be paid to the Potawatomi are so great because we're taking away their, this monopoly they've been granted that it doesn't make any economic sense. Well, then I think we have to take a really hard look at it. To me, it, it's just a matter of mathematics. You know, what can we get? If you put a new casino into Kenosha versus what are we going to lose in business from Potawatomi and their tax revenue? But on top of that, how much in, in what I'm going to call reparations are you going to have to make to Potawatomi for taking away their monopoly? And you really, I don't think, can have a, a candid discussion of this issue without without seeing, you know, where where the, the dollars and cents are, because it, it will hurt Potawatomi. That, that's just the, the reality. You put a casino in Kenosha, and people who would otherwise be inclined to drive up to Potawatomi, they're going to stop at the casino in Kenosha. Now, I don't have a problem with that in theory, except for these compacts that we cut, how much money would have to be diverted to Potawatomi. And at the end of the day, if it turns out that the state taxpayers end up being a net loser because of this, well, then you want to say, what? what's the point of this? Jay and Racine. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hello, Jeff. How okay. are you? By the way, I love your show. Thank you. I appreciate you calling, and I appreciate the sentiment. I, I think it would be a jobs magnet to have a casino. I also think that you could probably negotiate with this Hard Rock uh, Corporation that any kind of reparations that would have to get paid I'm sure they would be willing to pay that on behalf of the state in order to get a foothold here. It's just kind of ridiculous that you have all these casinos up north right next to each other. You have them in Las Vegas right next to each other. And here in southeastern part of the state, 
this is the only casino within a two and a half hour drive or a three hour drive. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And as for what you were talking about, Jim Doyle, I'd like an investigation into that because it seems kind of funny that Jim Doyle, the big, his biggest backer at the time was Potawatomi, and they get this sugar deal. Yeah. What's up with that? Because I think Jim Doyle came out of this. If you checked, if you dotted all the T's and stuff, I think he came out of this because financially, because I'd like to know why he gave away the store that gives such a great deal to the Potawatomi. Well, it is, happened to, like you say, to be his biggest backer financially. Well, I'm not sure that that was the case. And I mean, I, and it is interesting because when Jim Doyle was the attorney general, we, we were very, very anti-gaming. And then when he became governor, the, the, the whole the landscape changed and we, we had less of it. I, I mean, if you're implying that there was money under the table and stuff, that 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 wasn't the case. But but it, it was sort of an interesting change in you know, attitude. And you, know, you you talk about, you know, casinos up north. Well, you, well, you're right also. It also, I mean, right now, th- there's going to be more casinos in the area. The Ho-Chunk plans to open up an off-reservation casino in Beloit. Um, right now, there's gaming companies that are planning to open up. There's going to be a casino in Waukegan. There's going to be a casino in Chicago. There's currently a casino that is operating in Rockford that is owned by the Hard Rock Cafe. And, you know, you're, you're, so you're starting to see more and more of these casinos pop up. Again, I agree with you in, in theory. I, I think just like I, I like to see more restaurants around, just like I like to see more music venues around. I think competition is good, but until you actually look at the deal. So if you're asking me in theory, do I think it would be a good idea if, if you'd have another casino and uh, something run by the Hard Rock? I, I do. I think it would be a good idea. I think it would be a magnet. It would bring jobs in. You are exactly right, Jay. That that would all be a good thing. I just have to sit down, and you got to look. It's The devil is in the details, and you got to look at the dollars and cents and the numbers and see whether they make sense or not. If we didn't have... That the deal that Potawatomi hadn't cut the deal they had with the state, it would be, I, I think, a different, easier question. So, uh, stay tuned. We'll 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 see where this goes. Other efforts to start a casino in Kenosha have failed. Maybe this is the one that's going to get over the top. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa Barkley. I just had one of these pleasant surprises that I would lump into the category of better late than never. All right. Want to hear about it? I'm I'm listening. All yeah. right. Okay. So here, now, th- th- this building, we are, of course, in Radio City, and we are going to be moving soon. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, let me, let me mm-hmm. get this. Let's see. W- I'll read the promo here <laughs> so we can check that up. Okay. WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home. The avenue is vibrant, exciting. Plus, you'll be able to come by and see us. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. And our, our office staff... They were supposed to move at the end of the month. That got kicked back three weeks. So they're mm-hmm. moving downtown in mid-August. And the on-air people, um, we're the last. We're the last ones out of the building. Like That's I right. think we're scheduled yeah. to move September 26th. We should be I in the new you're place. Correct, yeah. Okay. So the and and I as I've said before, I kind of have a mixed feeling. I've been coming here to work for going on 25 years, but and and you know I, I have mixed feelings about the entire thing. But I will be the first to acknowledge that the building we're in now 
is is tired. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yes. It, tired it, is a very nice statement. Right. It, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. it's a fair thing to say because mm-hmm. it's historic, but, um, and, and now we're just tenants. It's not ever, you know, good karma owns us, and so mm-hmm. we're, they're renting the space. And even even at the height of, of journal, you know, they weren't putting a lot of money into this building. And and so, but but here here's the news. Okay, so... I know you don't hang out in the men's room, but there's now. I, I heard. There's, I heard it's bad in there's there. There's only though. there's only one men's room now that we're allowed to use in oh, the gosh. building because we've got this separated. And so, in in the one men's room we're used entitled to use, there's two sinks. Okay, and one of the sinks, the cold water has never worked. I mean, I, I won't say never worked. It, it hasn't worked for at least the last year. So if you want to wash your hands, you you can turn on the, the hot water and it pours out. But you know, and but it's. Sometimes you want to turn the cold water thing on, and the cold water has just never worked. Now, just like every once in a while when your power is out, and you know the power's out, but you walk into a room and you still flick the light switch on anyways, and yeah, go, darn, yeah. the power, okay. Well, every once in a while, I will still, even though the, the cold water doesn't work in the sink, every once in a while, I, I'll freak, I, I, I'll turn it. Mm-hmm. Today it works. Oh, my gosh. For the first time oh, in, wow. like, I swear, a year, yeah. either either they got a plumber here or it just magically, it's finally, it's a miracle, it decided to work. But I'm thinking, hey, we're, okay, this, this, the cold Cold water hasn't worked for like a year and a half or two years or whatever, and now we're getting ready to move. But finally, the cold water works. Well, you, there you go. Miracles do happen. It, it is, and I, so I've I got think, I've got like two months to enjoy it. There you go. I think I'm I'm really excited for the new uh, chairs that we're going to have in the new place. We're like getting new, new chairs. Well, I mean, from the Coakley brothers, right? New furniture. I, I'm just I I'm not on getting, that memo. Oh, I, well, I, I just they just would, tell me I where would, to be and stuff. Think you think maybe, we're getting new furniture? I would say we're getting probably a few new chairs. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. Well, you know the story about how we got the latest, uh, the 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 newest chair here that I sit in. It because, okay, the last chair we had, it go Jonathan Green. It, the, he he had got he had cut some deal with an advertiser, and every there's somebody in this chair almost twenty four seven. That's so it, true. It gets, yeah. it gets used, and so this was several years ago, and the the thing it was awful. I, I mean, it was it. I mean, again, it was it was a fine chair, but after somebody sits in it for like ten years, you know, it's getting it, crap. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the arms wouldn't go up, and the thing would, and um, we just couldn't get a new chair. And so I started. Well, I'm not sure what the right word is, but I started voicing. You know, during part, of, I kind of made it a bit on the yeah. show about how crappy the chair was, and some people in upper management heard that. And they kind of came in, and it was like, okay, Wagner's on his on his on his high horse again. And it was like, it, it can't really be that bad. And then somebody finally came in and looked at it and said, ooh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's bad. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. and then we had a new chair two days later. Oh, then that's it was, good. So it all worked out. Squeaky so, wheel, Jeff. Well, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that too much. But I, again, I'm, I'm in a good mood now because the cold yeah. water works. Oh, good. I'm so happy. And I've been hearing, like, yeah, it's not so great in there. In the men's restroom. Well, I try not to spend too much time there, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. But yeah. the, but that's cold but that's, water. But I've, I've got cold water. The cold water works, so it all works out. All right, just thank you for sharing. That was my yeah. little bit of news here. <laughs> okay, on a more serious note, I have had um, a, I've had several political discussions with people over the last couple weeks, especially since the Roe versus Wade decision came out, and the question's been. What do you think is going to happen? Is this, I mean, all the conventional wisdom is that the Democrats are going to get their clocks cleaned in in November. You have a lot of their allies in the media that are now really trying to, you know, just go after Republicans because they realize it could be an electoral bloodbath. But the question I've been asked is, what 
what you know what do you think the effect of Roe versus Wade is? And and I might be a a contraindicator here, but I I think it's going to kind of be a wash because while lots and lots of people have an opinion on abortion one way or the other, for most people, it's not their principal voting issue. Now, I understand that that maybe there's 10% on one side or 10% on another for whom that's their be-all, end-all here. We don't think there should be any abortion or we think, you know, you, women should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies, you know, up until the time that the, the child is born. And, and I think most people are kind of in the middle, as I've argued. But my point has been, I think it's kind of a wash when you look at, at voting issues. And I'm not at all convinced that, you know, feelings about abortion one way or the other are going to materially move the needle in the elections. And, and I know some really smart people don't necessarily think that's correct. But I was looking today, the New York Times did did a monster poll, and they've been releasing it in dribs and drabs. Um, they released the news yesterday that the Democrats are bailing on Joe Biden, that I think there's only like a third of Democratic voters who want to see him run again in 2024. And today they have a big story about Republican voters and Donald Trump, and they say that Trump is polling below 50%. When they ask Republican voters, they say, would you like to see Donald Trump run again? And, and right now, he's only the choice of four, only, I say, the choice of 49%. So he's below 50%. And actually, I think that number's high. And Ron DeSantis, who, you know, isn't running for president right now, he's running for re-election for governor, he's polling at 25%. And and I, I think that the point is, Democrats are souring on Biden. To a lesser extent, lots of Republicans are kind of souring on Trump. So th- those are the two big headline things out of the polls. But buried in the crosstabs, this is a question they ask. What and and I think it's important because you have to figure out if you want to predict how elections are going to turn out, you have to figure out what it is that people care about. And I understand you people care about lots of different things, but there's some stuff that, that are more important than others. So they ask the question, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? Because if you look at the way some of this poli- the politics stuff is, now you're hearing all this talk about abortion. Oh, this is just abortion is the issue. You have, you know, th- these January 6th hearings going on. Oh, you know, Trump tried to stage a, cu- a coup. This is this, this terrible and stuff. So th- they ask the question about, you know, what is the most important problem facing the country today because they're trying to get a handle on you know what where is the election going to go what's going to motivate people so let me give you a couple uh, and, and they list like about 20 different options but when you ask voters the question what is the most important problem facing the country today number one 20 percent one out of every five people responding to this poll say the economy including jobs and the stock market which, of course, channels Bill Clinton back in the 90s when, you know, he, his, his, their mantra was, it's the economy, comma, stupid. You know, they don't, don't, don't get sidetracked on all this other stuff. People vote with their pocketbooks. So when the New York Times asked that question, what's the most important issue to you? 20% say the economy, including jobs and the stock market. Number two, 15% say inflation and the cost of living. So of Potential voters, 35 percent 
say their driving decision, the number one issue that's facing them is either the state of the economy or inflation. All right, so let's talk about some of the other stuff. Well, Jeff, abortion, women's rights, that's got to be a huge issue. Well, not really. 5%. So 35% talk about the economy, 5%. um, And of that 5%, 1% of of men say it's the most important issue. 9% of women say it's the most important issue. All right, how about the, the whole January 6th? Thing. The, the whole, you know, Donald Trump and how terrible it is. Two percent. Two percent. What this tells me is, again, it, it's it's the economy. And, and we can spend all this time talking about all these these other side issues. But when we're talking about abortion, that's five percent. When we're talking about like the January 6th stuff and, and Trump and things like that, it's it, it's again, it's two percent. The economy, inflation, that's 35%. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me put that question to you. What do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, my position is that suburban Republican women will decide the election and the erosion of women's rights is a real concern of theirs. Likewise, these women have financial security as compared to middle and lower class voter, lower income class voters. So inflation doesn't impact their standard of living as dramatically. Now, I guess see, I, I disagree with that. I think if the implication is that suburban women are divorced from concerns about the economy and inflation i i just i don't think that's the case and matter of fact i think it's it hits really hard with suburban women because they're the ones that are going at i don't mean to be stereotypical but my wife does all our shopping my wife is the one that's in the grocery stores my wife is the one that sees the prices and comes home and say jeff you're not going to believe what's happened to the cost of, of bacon or, or whatever um so i mean i think the i think quite candidly the, the people that are in the shops, they're the ones that see the impact of inflation quite a bit. Um, let's see. Jeff, for me, it's crime and gun violence. Keep that in mind because I want to go back to this poll. Jeff, for me, it's the economy, it's crime, and it's concerns about the immediate. Uh, Jeff, Biden is our country's biggest problem. Keep that in mind. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Jeff, for me, the number one issue is gun violence and crime. Um, Jeff, I, 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 my answer to the question would be, um, number one is the economy. Second is crime. Somebody else is saying crime, um, as well. So we're hearing a lot about crime. Now, um, what's going on is if I look at the poll, the, well, I'll give you some of the list, some of the list here. Crime itself, only 1% say that that's their, their principal issue. Now, keep in mind, this is a national poll. I think that, um, I think if you were to, for example, poll on the crime issue, well, in in southeastern Wisconsin, for example, I I think you'd get a a much higher number than that. A gun policy. So here's number one is the economy. Twenty percent. Number two is inflation, the cost of living. Fifteen percent. Number three, when they say, what's the biggest problem facing the country today? The state of democracy, political division, 11%. I'm not sure how that cuts as a voting issue, though, because I I don't know exactly, 
you know, what, what that means. Do, does that mean that, oh, those evil Republicans are trying to take over the government or, gee, the, the Democrats have run stuff into the ground? I don't know what that means. Number four, gun policies with 10 percent. Um, 7% among men say it's a principal issue, 12% of women. And again, with gun policies, it, it's it's sort of like right track, wrong track questions. You can say, you think the country's on the right track or the wrong track, but unless you ask more questions, you don't know what that means because I could say, oh, is the state of Wisconsin on the right track or the wrong track? Well, I think it's on the wrong track, and that's because the Republicans control the legislature and Tony Evers can't do what he wants. Or it could be, hey, Tony Evers is the governor, and so we can't get stuff in. So it's tough to know what that means. So I don't exactly know what the gun policies would mean, but those are the top five. Economy, inflation, by far and away, state of democracy, gun policies, abortion, and then after that, it's it's Democrats and Biden, biggest problem in the country, that's 3%. War in Ukraine, um, that's 2%. Republicans and Trump, that's 2%. And then it kind of drops from there. Healthcare, only 1%. Education, only 1%. And I guess my big takeaway from this is, if you want to try to use numbers like this to look at what's important, and if I were to advise politicians, you know, what's important and what do you want to talk about, I, you got to go back to Clinton. It's clearly the economy, stupid. And, and yeah, I understand that there's, you're going to have people concentrating on, there'll be ads about, um, you know, July, January 6th. There'll be ads about abortion and things like that. But when you look at what's really moving the needle, at the end of the day, it's the economy, it's inflation, it's things like that. And the candidates that are able to hone their message and present the, the, the most compelling arguments as to why they should be elected, I think it's pretty clear that they're going to be the ones who win. That's how it seems to me. So, very glad to have you with us. My producer, Charlie, started a little bit of a, a, a debate among the audience. We were In the last hour, we were playing... I was making a reference to casinos, and he came back with the Rolling Stones version of Tumbling Dice, which is a great song, but in my mind, nobody does it like Linda Ronstadt. And so that started this whole debate about whether it's the Stones or Linda Ronstadt. And to me, I appreciate the Stones version, but I'll go with I'll go with Linda Ronstadt any time, any day of the week. Hey, uh, tomorrow... If you're looking for the Brewers game, and the Brewers are playing in Minnesota tonight and tomorrow, you can, of course, as always, hear it here on WTMJ, and we appreciate that. If you're trying to play the whack-a-mole game of of what TV station is it on and where can you find it, well, for the second time in a week, um, it's not on its usual home. Um, You know, Bally Sports, which used to be, what, Fox Sports, Bally Sports is, is the traditional carrier of that. And of course, the problem for a lot of people is you need to have you, know, you need to have you know Bally Sports on your your cable network or whatever. Um, on Friday, the game was on Apple TV, and but you know you were you had to download the Apple TV app and get it onto your onto your system, and then you could watch the game if you if you chose to do that. It was free. Obviously, Apple is trying to hope that people who downloaded the game to downloaded their their app, app so they could stream it will then say, "Hey, there's all this other stuff on, and I'll pay the nine bucks a month or whatever it is." Well, okay, so that was on Friday. Tomorrow, if you want to watch the baseball game, and my show is preempted because there is that early baseball game. Well, it's not going to be on Bally Sports. It's not going to be on Apple TV. It's on YouTube TV, which is where a handful of games were last year. So. 
Um, again, the, the good news is you, again, YouTube TV, you, you don't have to pay for it. It's free, but you do have to have that app that you can stream. And I know this is, it's getting frustrating for a lot of fans because it's kind of like we like to watch the ball games. Where are they? And the reality is, again, it's sort of like this whack-a-mole system and, and it's all about money. And I, I don't fault the Brewers. I don't fault Major League Baseball, but these streaming services, they're buying pieces of of broadcasts, and what they're trying to do is get people to to check out their their service. And I'm sure, like with YouTube, you know, dot com, they're hoping that some people can go there and they say, "Hey, I'm going to buy YouTube TV, and I'll 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 use this as something to oh, I can, I've got YouTube, so now I'll get YouTube TV, and I'll pay the seventy dollars a month to have YouTube TV, and maybe I don't need the cable stations or whatever." But it's it's frustrating right now for the fans, I know, because you never know where a particular game is is going to be it's not like the old days but of course keep in mind in the old days days they, they didn't they didn't televise home games as a general rule and they didn't even televise all the away games so we've gotten spoiled with all the games on television but you do have to look a little to find them the one thing you don't have to do though is if you want to listen to the game it's same time same place just check out wtmj and we will have the game as well all right i was making reference to this this new york times poll that's out there and Clearly, if you look at the poll numbers, Democrats are bailing on Biden. Thirty-four percent say he, he they don't want only thirty-four percent say they want him to run again. There's a whole other question about is he too old? And we've talked about that before and we'll talk about it again about age limits, but that, that's a conversation for another day. The other interesting thing to me is they ask about Trump. Now there's speculation that Donald Trump is going to announce even before the midterms in November, that he is running for president again. And and there's all sorts of reasons not to do that um, financially and things like that. But, I mean, Trump just, I think, has trouble not being the center of attention. And I think there is concern in Trump world that, gee, there's other candidates that are starting to emerge and be looked at as more viable options. So by him getting in the race, maybe he can kind of, you know, kill some of those insurgent candidacies in, in the cradle. So New York Times goes out and they ask Republicans, all right, you know, what do you think about Donald Trump? Is he your preferred candidate for president? And it's kind of interesting because overall, less than half of Republican voters say that he would be their preferred candidate. If the Republican 2024 presidential primary were held today, who would you vote for if the candidates were? And then they list them. 49% say Donald Trump. 25% say DeSantis, then Cruz, then Pence, then Nikki Haley. um, And and then it goes from there. But Trump is below 49%. If you break it down even more, they say, okay, they look at Republican voters under the age of 35, 64% say, not Trump, Um, if they ask Republican voters with at least a college degree, which is kind of a a leading indicator of political preferences among the donor class. And I'm not suggesting that people who, you know, don't have college degrees don't give money, but it's one of the things that that you look at. Sixty five percent of those with at least a college degree say that they would prefer um, somebody other than Donald Trump. So among younger voters and among more educated Republican voters, he's he's not doing well at all. 
Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's ask this question. If Trump decides that he is going to run again, and I understand it's it's difficult at this point in time, who knows what the complexion, who knows what things are going to look like by you know early 2024, because we've got a long way to go, but you know that there's a lot of other candidates that are out there who I suspect aren't just going to roll over and let Donald Trump just take the nomination again. So, Donald Trump, would he be your preferred candidate for president in 2024? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or is it time to move on? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if I answer this question, I, 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 I don't see how I could possibly support Donald Trump in 2024. I mean, I... I, I was conflicted about him during the four years of the presidency. I, I think his conduct after the November elections and everything that's coming out just demonstrates that I just think he's unfit to be the leader of the free world. So no, I, I I'll be honest with you, I couldn't I couldn't support him at all. All right, eight five five six one six one six. 20. Um, Jeff, um, I would give my vote to you. After what Trump did to the vice president by throwing him under the bus, I will never vote for him. He has no loyalty to anyone but himself. Jeff, I'm a Republican. Do not want to see Trump run. Let's try Ron DeSantis. Jeff, I'm a 56-year-old Republican. There is no way I would vote for him in 2024. The Republican Party needs a rational, mentally stable candidate. Trump is not the person to lead our country in the years to come. Lynn and Adele. Jeff, I voted for Trump the first time. I won't ever again. He has too much baggage. Um, he, like Hillary, is yesterday's news. We need new ideas and hopefully someone with dignity and morals. Um, let's see. Jeff, I prefer DeSantis. I'm kind of over Trump, but we'll vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. Um, Jeff, I will not vote for Donald Trump or any other loyalist candidate who says the election was stolen or in particular seeks the advice or public endorsement of him. I think it's time overdue for fresh ideas and new candidate blood in the Republican Party at all levels. Um, Okay, let's see. John, I would never back him. I wish he'd go away and allow a uh, presidential conservative run. Um, Jeff is a small R Republican. I think there should be considerable worry in the party whether he runs or he doesn't. If he runs, the party will clearly be deeply divided. If he doesn't, there could be a large section of conservatives that won't back another major party candidate or won't vote at all. Jeff, I'm under 25. I have a college degree. I did not vote for, I will not vote for Trump. Too much corruption at this point, and it would just be a backward step for our country. With that being said, if the Democrats put up Biden again in 2024, I will not be voting blue either. Um, Jeff, I voted for Trump before. He's now damaged goods. He would not be my choice. Jeff, I would definitely vote for Donald Trump again. And by the way, I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. Jeff, DeSantis needs to run even if Trump is running. DeSantis will beat him no problems. Jeff, I'd like to see a conservative. I'd like to see someone with Trump's policies minus Donald Trump. I really hope DeSantis runs and becomes our next president. Um, Let's see. Jeff, hopefully Trump doesn't run. They will try to get him again. Too much fighting. Um, Jeff, great policies, but heck to the no. Nikki Haley, please, or DeSantis. Um, Jeff, I want whatever candidate gives Republicans the best chance to win. My concern, candidly, is I just don't think Donald Trump is electable. And, and you're starting to, to, to hear that. He, he lost the 2020. 
2020 election. So, and, and if anything, it's become a lot more controversial since then. I just think you need new blood. I, I just, at some point in time, and I, I've railed about this, you know, we're looking at Joe Biden, who's going to be like, he would be 82 if he ran and was reelected. I don't think he's going to run again. Trump would be in his upper 70s. I mean, can't you find somebody who's in their 60s, for goodness sakes? Let's start with uh, Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Mike, you mean? Okay, hi, Mike. This is Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, you know, I liked everything Trump did. However, I would not vote for him again. He, he sort of wears on you. He just, you know, with all the things he's done, with all of the, the uh, quite goofy things that he's done over the last uh, seven to eight months, mm-hmm. he's just not fit, fit to be president, in my mind. Yeah. And, uh, again, I, I like his policies. I want Ron DeSantis. He's my guy. And uh, I hope uh, he, he decides to step down, step down and not to run for election. Thanks for calling. No, I appreciate it. unifier for the Republican. No, no, thank, thanks for calling. No, I, I mean, Ron DeSantis is kind of Trump without the Trump policies, but Trump without the sort of over-the-top narcissism and things like that, and without a lot of the baggage. I mean, I understand any candidate brings some baggage, but just for once, I'd, I'd like to see maybe a candidate that packs light. Jeff, definitely time to move on from Trump. Republicans will make a big losing mistake if Trump is their candidate. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that you're starting to see is even among people who respect the job that he did as president and are able to overlook the chaos theory and the ego and the narcissism and all that sort Sort of stuff are sitting there saying we, we don't want the drama anymore and look I, I'm, I'm sorry no matter how you cut it his behavior you know from the, the time the November election ended till the time he, he left office was just appalling and, and there's no way you know he cost Republicans those two seats in Georgia by going and and again instead of campaigning for the Republicans that were running in the special elections he made this all about himself it's that it's that ego that's that's out there and i think you know it's that chaos theory and i think most people are just ready to move on dan dan you're on wtmj good afternoon hi jeff uh thank you for taking my call sure. uh i'm uh, i'm not going to vote for uh, trump i'm going to vote for uh, ron DeSantis. and the reason i say that is because uh like most people i there were some things i liked that trump did but he didn't know when to keep his mouth shut and he cost us the Senate in, uh, in 2020, and he's, I think, he, I just don't think he's appealing to me anymore. No, interesting. No, thanks. I think, and I think a lot of people, that's the sentiment that, that's out there. And it's not a question of, did you like the policies or not? But it's at, at some point in time, I think in 2016, a lot of people sort of held their nose and said, we're going to vote for Donald Trump because he's unknown right now. And we, we know Hillary Clinton. We don't like Hillary Clinton. And that carried him. Well, that wasn't enough to carry him in 2020. And and I don't think he's become more popular since, you know, with all the, the stuff that's coming out. Jeff, Trump, no way. Um, he likes making chaos and I'm done with it. I'm hoping the hearings strip him of any chance to run again. No, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I think, if anything, the hearings might embolden him. Um, you know, there, there's no question. Jeff, I think if you would have ripped the phone out of Trump's hand and changed his Twitter password, he would have been reelected. Well, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that's the case there. Jeff, Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden, the weakest Democratic candidate ever, other than Hillary. Well, I don't know about that. There were 
I, I remember Michael Dukakis. I remember some others. I remember George McGovern. Trump had a stellar record of accomplishments during his first term, and he still lost. You know, kind of what does that end up telling you? I, I guess I, I find this to be interesting because... And I, I had a couple textures saying, oh, you're just reading selective stuff. No, I've been kind of reading the, the stuff as it's coming in. Uh, among our audience, I think you're you're seeing, you know, a conservative-leading audience, but you're seeing, what, about 80%, 85% of at least the people that are responding, either in phone calls or in the text, are saying that they're over Donald Trump, and it, it's time to move on. I think that as the campaign moves on, you're going to see more and more people coming to that conclusion. Now, I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump is going to go quietly into the good night. That's not that's not his modus operandi. And quite candidly, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to blow everything up. If it can't be him, well, it can't be anybody, because that's also the way the guy operates. But I, I do believe for Republicans, if you want to see Republicans take control of Congress, win the presidency in 2024, it's time to move on. Just like if Democrats want to retain the White House in 2024, and I think Democrats, if we did this the other way, I think the majority of Democratic voters would tell you, time to move on from Joe Biden. Will will they step out of the way? Will Biden and Trump step out of the way? Don't know. Tough to give that up. We'll see, though.